Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And hi, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, today, folks, we're very happy and honored to have Betty Gardner on our podcast. Betty is the founder and senior educator for Breakthrough Learning. Betty, tell us a little bit about yourself and and what exactly Breakthrough Learning is and and what you do. Okay, fine. I am so happy to be here. Hi, everybody. Um, I have a long history and background in healthcare organization management, and um, that came by way of early on, about five years working for the California Medical Association in San Francisco, where I was involved in... um, healthcare policy research and socioeconomic research and analysis and um, community healthcare planning with a lot of physician leaders, great experience. And from there, I moved into um, hospital management, where I was a member of the senior team of a large urban hospital. And great, again, invaluable experience uh, that has served me well since then of uh, learning about turning around a struggling hospital and developing trauma centers and merging independent hospitals into integrated healthcare delivery systems. I did leave organizational life um, in order to start a family, and that led to my consulting practice where I was able to work part-time and then full-time and grow the company into what did become uh, today's company, Breakthrough Learning. And... um, Breakthrough Learning develops products for team learning and for performance improvement. Um, We specialize in helping people integrate the discipline of systems thinking into their um, routine work in often complex and changing organizations as we're all familiar with these days. Um, The flagship product of Breakthrough Learning um, is Friday Night at the ER the team learning game that uh, we're going to be talking about today. And uh, this year, Friday Night at the ER celebrates its 30th birthday. Wow. (laughs) We're happy. I'm blown away that it's been 30 years. But uh, this is a tool that teams have used for learning and performance improvement and as a catalyst for change for that long. And um, it's enduring. my belief is that systems thinking is both universal and as a essential skill people need, and um, it's pretty timeless. So that's what I attribute its enduring success to. Well, I know we want to talk about uh, Friday night at the ER, but I, I wanted to first just dive in a little bit into systems thinking. Um, you know, what do you mean, first of all, when we talk about systems thinking, and then you know, why did you feel the need to to develop this tool to to help? What were you seeing in the healthcare setting as far as um, I guess the inability to to think on that level? You stole my question, Jake. Yeah. That's why you got to ask him first. You know, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> got to jump in. Uh, great question. Um, systems thinking is you know a way of thinking. Um, it's and a way of thinking that's essential for successfully managing within uh, what we call dynamic complexity. Uh, Organizations or 
communities, um, situations in which there's a great deal of interconnectedness and change. Um, that's tough for people to learn to manage, and yet systems thinking has evolved over more than 50 years now as a body of knowledge. There are principles, there are methods that help uh, reveal interconnected relationships that actually generate the outcomes we see. Um, so systems thinking can be contrasted to uh, more conventional thinking in which we tend to categorize things, break things down into parts, examine the parts, um, see linear cause and effect relationships. A systems thinking approach really looks at the boundaries of a system under study, acknowledges those boundaries are permeable because, you know, we have all kinds of factors that impact the systems in which we live and work. And um, it helps us with some methods and tools. Um, that's where uh, I came in having learned about and fallen kind of in love with systems thinking in the mid-1980s. Um, at a time when the people who knew how to apply systems thinking tended to almost exclusively be in academic centers. And they were the ones with the knowledge, the methods and tools, and everyone else is out there <laughs> struggling to work and make sense of the world and solve problems and take the long view, but um, really would have to engage those people as consultants. So. My interest as I was learning about this and I was working in the field was how does these, how does this thinking, how do the principles of systems thinking sort of trickle down <laughs> and spread? How can we uh, have a broad number of people at all levels and organizations applying systems thinking without having to get the PhD in operations research or wherever to um, have to achieve that. So that was the genesis of Friday Night at the ER, where I wanted to develop a tool that was experiential, um, because I believe in experiential learning, I'm a fan of simulation for deep, lasting learning value, and <clears throat> could engage kind of people where they were in a relatable scenario where they're challenged to master the scenario, and in doing so, they end up moving from silo thinking to systems thinking. So it, as you know, I think Friday Night VR, it's a tabletop exercise. It's a um, simulation of a scenario that uses the hospital as a setting. It's a fictitious hospital. Teams are challenged to manage the hospital during a simulated 24-hour period from Friday noon to Saturday noon. And the simulation takes about one hour for teams to engage in. Um, I think Baptist system is somewhat familiar, or at least some number of people are familiar with that tool. So I, I in a nutshell, can explain that there are four people per table. Each player plays the role of a department manager. We've squished the hospital down to just four departments and accelerated 
<clears throat> time so that hours tick by and minutes and the game only takes an hour and it, it's simplified so people can actually manage the hospital in that time. And <clears throat> each player performs distinct functions, but they all come to realize that they also depend on each other. Um, you know, they discover that managing quality and cost problems um, can only really be solved if they collaborate and share responsibility. You know, if they reach across the functional boundaries that they're assigned and actually work together, um, if they're open to new ideas and different ways of doing things, and if they use data on which to base their decisions. And <clears throat> over the course of the hour, this kind of sneaks up on them so that initially it's kind of fun to see teams play this very focused on their own department and optimizing its performance. But um, over time they realize that the harder they work to optimize their department's performance, the worse the system as a whole performs. And ultimately the worse they perform because they depend on others. So it sounds quite complicated. It's not so complicated. People playing the game get very engaged. They're working on these little game boards, but they seem to care about the little beads that represent patients, and are they waiting too long? Um, do I have enough staff? Um, you know, what happened to that one? It got lost, etc. And so they deal with various events that come up that are unexpected, and patient flow challenges and resource allocation challenges. And um, it kind of sucks them into the experience. But they do come out having to apply systems thinking. They don't necessarily know that in advance. They don't have to know anything about that discipline. But in order to be successful, they have to think systemically. Um, the game is followed by a debrief in which a facilitator typically um, helps people to reflect on the game experience, what were the learnings in the game, what made for success, and are they relevant in our real world, and then, yes, and how do we apply those lessons to our routine work. I'm not sure I got lost answering your question or not, but did I cover the basics or ask away if there are other things I missed? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think so. HF, you got any any follow up questions? No, I mean, it's a it, it's a great it's a if you want to call it, I don't know if you like to uh, bet if you like to call it a game. It's a great game. You know, it it really does um, it does cause you to break down those silos. You know, we, we we get into a lot of silo thinking, and sometimes, like you said, when 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 we're focused on our own department, even though it may be operating very efficiently in a, in a high-performing department, if that's all we're focused on, it, it can actually hurt hurt the entire organization. But um, one, one question I had is, you know, it's obviously it's Friday night at the ER, and so it's in all the roles that you play around the table, you may be an ICU head nurse, or you may be the, the radiology manager or whatnot. But what about people who aren't in the healthcare sector? Is this something that 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 they can they could do as well without having any background in medicine? 
Mm-hmm. Yes, um, they can. In fact, um, the hospital setting, <clears throat> I decided was a great setting for this exercise because it's familiar universally. And so we see people playing this in all walks of life in um, manufacturing companies use it, government agencies, you know, universities in graduate programs, um, people in other countries. It's the skin is used in 35 other countries. So it crosses cultures and so forth because everybody has seen some of these TV shows, basically American TV shows of Grey's Anatomy and ER and so forth, where, you know, they're familiar with the hospital in general and they're familiar with emergencies, uh, situations. So it works well universally. I think in some ways people outside of healthcare have an easier time with, um, engaging in the gameplay as a metaphor for many things and, and relating to it. Um, all companies, all organizations have interdependent parts. And um, they readily translate the lessons of the game to their organization. Um, you know, early on, I remember my first experience using the game with a large, it was a Fortune 500 company, a manufacturing company, and the uh, one of the players at the end of the game just slammed his hand on the table and said, this is our company. And it was like, so satisfying. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, this sure. system thinking is universal and um, they can engage. So I think the hospital setting has helped a great deal with that. Um, you're not simulating something that is so foreign to people they can't get their heads around it. And they enjoy playing the role of, you know, hey, I'm going to be a doctor today. Mm-hmm. Wow, lucky me. Or, hey, I get to manage an ER. Um, wow. And I can certainly see where where non-healthcare-related people may actually do better because, you know, all of us who are in healthcare, we come in with all these preconceived ideas, and we think that this is most important or that's most important when, uh, you know, really it's not. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, people in hospitals, I think, on the one hand, love it because it's their world. And it's like, thank you. Here's an exercise. I'm not playing, you know at managing, you know, looking for the pot of gold in the Sahara Desert or something that's so foreign. I, I think hospital people like seeing their reality represented. And <clears throat> they comment that it feels quite real, even though it's quite simplified. On the other hand, you're right. Um, they have a bit of a hard time stepping out of their reality. And um, there's more often people saying, you can't do that or we can't do this. And it's actually very fruitful for, um, you know, facilitating conversations about, wait a minute, you know, what was the assumption you made that, what, why do you say we can't? Or, you know, other tables in the room will say, well, we did. And, you know, I, there's a lot of good learning value in that. But, yes, healthcare people tend to um, be bound by rules a little bit more than most. We're very protocol-driven for all good reason. But um, when that gets translated, that behavior, to the business setting, I think that's where we kind of get into trouble. Um, too many rules that um, don't even make sense for today's environment. 
So let's talk about that a little bit more and, and get back to just the concept of systems thinking. You know, when I think about a game, a lot of times we talk about winner takes all, right? So it's, it's me versus you, and there can only be one winner. And so when I think about your game with the four departments, and, you know, I think about, you know, the system being all four departments together, um, a lot of people would think, well, the system can only be as good as A plus B plus C plus D department. Whereas what I'm, I think your game is, is going to show is that actually the system is going to be greater than the sum of the individual departments. Is, is that some of the um, lessons of the game or, or am I off on the wrong track? Yes, certainly. No, that's uh, exactly right. I think people do clearly, <clears throat> excuse me, come away with that understanding. Um, now, almost always when this tool is used, it's in a room with multiple tables going, you know, sometimes as many as 50 tables, you know, 200 people. You know? So you get, it can be just a handful of tables, but you get some competition between teams, okay? So there is a competitive aspect to it, and people are aware of that. So this idea of a game being competitive is pretty well satisfied that way. It's our team versus their team. And we do score people at the end of teams and put up the scores on the wall, and there's kind of a lot of excitement about who got the best score. Um, but yes, in the systems world, um, <clears throat> the success of a system is really about how well do the parts smoothly, efficiently, effectively work together. Um, and that has to be, that that's the, a key ingredient to getting a good score. So it, it's kind of playing with people's minds that way to get them out of a mental model that says, oh, to win, I have to excel as an individual or in my, my unit. So would it be possible for us to, to talk about one of the scenarios in the game and how the, the different departments are supposed to react to the scenario? Sure. Sure. Okay. During the course of the game, um, each department may have arrivals of patients coming in. Each simulated hour, there are some number of patients ready to leave the department. And so if I'm playing the emergency department manager role, um, I see both ambulance arrivals and walk-ins coming into my department. There's a nice waiting area. I can move these little beads representing patients into there. And it's only if I have um, adequate staff in my department, as well as some space, that I can move those patient beads into care. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, they wait, and they accumulate quality errors in the scoring system as they wait. Um, there's also costs that get accumulated. But in any case, in terms of the interdependencies, I each simulated hour will look at how many patients are ready to leave and where do they go. So while maybe 40% to 60% of patients go out, they're treated and released back to the community, there's quite a number that need another department at the hospital. They either need to go to surgery or critical care or to what we call step-down care, which is basically all other beds in the hospital, <laughs> one into one. It's med surge, but it's also, you know, orthopedics, pediatrics, et cetera. So uh, if I have patients that need to go to critical care, to intensive care, 
um, I make a request of critical care to accept those patients. And meanwhile, my emergency department is starting to fill up. It's Friday night. The risky behaviors of Friday night are coming out in the world. And as we know, um, we have uh, spikes in demand on Friday night. Um, and the critical care manager has a choice. Do I accept those arrivals waiting from emergency or do I let them wait? And if I accept them, I may have to add some extra staff to my department. And uh, that's going to look bad on my scorekeeping in my department. I will be accumulating um, costs if I um, do that. And they can wait in emergency. might be the mental model or Maybe I'll free up space by being able to discharge patients to step down and then free up space and move patients in. So everyone is quite, you know, good at, quote, gaming it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm using critical care as an example, not to pick on critical care people, but often we do find that issues in crowding in the emergency department are a matter of backlogs to other departments and critical care is can be one of them. So the critical care manager, to the extent she is trying to optimize her department's performance, she will actually be causing backlogs in the emergency department. So as emergency gets more crowded, performance starts going downhill. And um, actually, as it turns out, there are things people can do that are either the simple practice of asking for data and looking up, wait a minute, does it cost me more to add staff to be able to accommodate those patients? Or does it cost more in quality errors and other costs to keep the patient in the emergency department? And we have a very simple way people can look up the data and um, learn what costs more, what counts more, and um, almost always people don't <laughs> ignore the data and they'll operate based on their own mental model that oh, staff costs too much. I know staffing is a big part of my budget. I'm not going to do it. They can wait. Well, roll the clock forward at the end of the 24 hour period, the scores are accumulated and counted. And the only thing we actually display and measure is the team score. As it turns out, the individual department's scoring did not um, get disclosed in any way. So um, they come to realize that their team score um, was badly affected by the individuals um, not behaving systemically. You know, we have a saying in the systems thinking field, structure drives behavior. I don't know if you've heard that one. I know in, in quality improvement work, a similar phrase is something like, every process is perfectly designed to produce the results it is producing. Sure, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, similar idea in the systems field. And what you know, I tried to do in this game design is create a structure of the game that tends to put people operating in silos. And they kind of have to rise above that and realize what's going on to move into a systems thinking mode. So the fact that they're given a role as department manager, you know, they're identifying with their department. They're sitting in front of literally a box. They have to think out of the box to 
go beyond. Their accounting system during the gameplay is individual. So they're thinking their performance as an individual will be disclosed. So there are different structural clues and cues that I do think people, you know, are affected by as they play the game. Um, they learn that and realize that very powerfully in the debrief when, you know, they realize oh, it was the team performance that mattered. Um, and they reflect in the debrief on what are the structural aspects of our organizations? How are we designing our systems such that people are behaving the way they're behaving? Are we structured for um, high-level collaboration across departments or not so much? Yeah. Historically, it's been not so sure. much. Sure. Um, so there are some solutions that people come up with in the gameplay, as well as when they reflect on their real situations and how can they manage better. Um, things like, you know, middle of the night team huddle for looking at what can we do differently? We're getting backlogs here. Or who can we, what patients can we move um, out of the hospital? Um, there are hospitals that are pulling patients from the ER to critical care instead of the push method, you know, critical care nurses coming to the ER at peak times, at predictable times, saying, what can we do to help? There are hospitals and in gameplay, people simulate this, that create kind of a pool of float nurses who are cross-trained and go where the need is greatest instead of being assigned to a department. So there are various things that um, people can do in the gameplay and that organizations can do in their real world to actually redesign the structures within which people work so that they automatically do. Um, Betty, would, would it be safe to say that, that the essence of the game is increasing flow through the hospital? You know, one of one of our one of we have a Baptist management system that we that's part of our it's our improvement system and one of our guiding principles is flow and pull. Yeah. And there's a book that I by out by Studer called Hardwiring Flow. And they had a very interesting concept that is written by two ER physicians, ED physicians, and their concept was anything that increases flow actually increases value. Actually they, they equated value with flow. Uh, they they basically use those terms synonymously, and I, I just wanted to to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I've not read that book. I've written down the name of it. Thank you. Um, yes, the simulation, the scenario is about flow, and it's about managing flow, and um, you know that is managing flow in particular given uneven demand, given spikes of demand. And, um, you know, given events that take place internally that um, make it difficult to assign resources um, adequately. So these are challenges people have to manage. And I think, in, you know, in hospitals, if all we concentrated on was flow, we would do wonderfully. <laughs> it, it's not, of course, just about flow and getting people through quickly. It's doing sure. it quality and the right 
um, you know, having the right outcomes. But I think of the flow and I think of all the people within hospital organizations that are kind of running along the banks of the river, um, helping that flow move around. And I, I think that um, flow management is, is one of the, at the, at the core of most quality improvement um, work in some way. Yeah. So, you know, when you were describing the game, you know, what came to my mind is this is this is an optimization problem that could potentially even be solved with math. So yes. is this does does each scenario have an optimal solution um, that you're able to share with the group? It, it seems like I could plug it into a you know an yeah. equation and solve that. Well <clears throat> there is uh, theoretically but of course that's coming from a physics major, Jake. <laughs> No, it's great because uh, we have time. I'd share an anecdote about that. Um, yeah. But the, um, the the fact that this is an in-person exercise, um, you have four people sitting at the table. They're each making decisions throughout. So to simulate the range of possible decisions and behaviors they're adopting would, uh, I think, take enormous um amount of you know sensitivity analysis around different variables sure. in order to produce the outcomes. Um, yes, you can um, direct a computer model to simulate different behavior attitudes. You know, if everyone is highly collaborative, if everyone is using the data properly to make their decisions, if if if. So you can kind of optimize this, but um, and I had a kind of a long history of using computer simulation in my consulting practice to help um, people um, test ideas and come up with optimal solutions and learn where is the leverage here within the system. Um, and that certainly can be done in the uh, computer world. Um, the anecdote is simply a, a group, um, a couple groups we worked with in China who um, just often raised their hands, each each group that we did this with, we had people within the group raising their hands saying, um, can I just get the data, the real values, the data values, because I'll sit here with my laptop while people are figure out the optimal solution and just tell everybody, like, what's the big deal? That's, that's what we should do. What what about this amb ambiguity and all this variation is just, you know, not so helpful. <laughs> so the one cultural bump in the road that we had to like you know work through that oh how do we help people with this and um, some people are inclined to do that yeah I, I would say I'm, <laughs> I'm in that boat um, but I would yeah. say one of the challenges is probably you don't know how many patients are going to come through the ER at any given time and and you don't know you know how many patients are going to be able to discharge and so those are scenarios that get introduced as you sure. go right right um, right and some people look ahead they look at the Incoming arrivals over the next 24 hours, and they think, "Yeah, that'd be me." But that's not the idea. A lot of what people are doing—I mean, this is a practice field for people to simulate the reality of not knowing everything, <laughs> and having to work on your feet, and having to work with people who have different personalities, different mental models. How do you negotiate that? How do you work that out? Um, so when people repeatedly play this game in different settings and they're sitting at the table with different people, they say, oh, it 
a different experience. I had a whole different set of people. We played the game entirely differently. Um, anyway, what we're trying to do is give people a practice field that's a catalyst for change. So it's try it out, um, fail and get up and try again and repeatedly do it until you learn what works and in the face of lots of unknowns. Um, yeah, I mean, you got, you know, Jake talks about taking the data, plugging it into a, an mm -hmm. algorithm or a formula or whatever and coming up with the answer. But, you know, if, if Skip was here, he would say, you know, it's a socio-technical system. You know, you, you, you have to take the data, but you have to have the behaviors behind it yeah. to, uh, to use that data. And, and if you have somebody at your table who's very overbearing, you know the types. Yes. And and it can uh, even though you've got you've got all the information, yes. you can still fail because the beha the behaviors aren't there. Yes, there's quite a bit of that that goes on. There are groups that use this simply to teach uh, communication practices or mm -hmm. to teach you know blended personality styles or cross professions. Like you know there 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 are different uses of this um, along the lines you suggest. But you know at its essence, what my interest was was to take core principles of systems thinking and just and distill them into behaviors that would represent kind of applied systems thinking. So it's not just the thinking, it's not just being intellectual about understanding that, oh, yes, we live and work in systems. It's what are the behaviors I need to adopt in order to apply a system, in order to demonstrate that I understand that I'm working in the system. So there are three core success strategies in the game, and they're behavioral. <laughs> they're collaboration, and we mean high-level collaboration, not just communicating, um, sharing responsibility, so performance of the system. And the second one is innovation, being open to new practices, new ideas. You know, our mental models are such powerful drivers of behavior and we want people to be open to new ideas, open to having their mental models challenged. And the third one is data-driven decision-making. Um, and if you apply those three behaviors, even if you know nothing about systems and systems thinking and performance improvement, you will have a team that is high-performing and improved. You know, it's, it's sort of guaranteed. So... I think they're kind of learning about systems thinking after the fact of this experience, not up front. Well, Betty, as we start, we could sit here. I'd love to sit here and talk all day, but unfortunately, we're going to have to <clears throat> wrap this up. But for our listeners out there, does Friday night at the ER, does it come prepackaged where mm -hmm. an organization can purchase it and they can conduct? they can do it on their own or does it need to be done through somebody from breakthrough learning? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes, it comes packaged. It's a complete kit. And so you get the game materials, um, all packaged in a kit and you get facilitator training through an online course that we offer that is very successful in having people go through stages of learning about the game and how to best facilitate it to meet their learning objectives. And it comes with, you know, 
materials for the debrief discussion, exercises, PowerPoint slides, etc. So yeah, it's packaged and typically uh, it's designed to be able to be played in a half day. Uh, so the game plus the debrief, we say allocate um, four hours if you can. Um, again, that was kind of a design principle, knowing that at least in American groups and groups in the U.S., for people to take more than a half day for a learning program is kind of a hard sell. And so it had to be able to be fit into that time frame. On the other hand, there are people who use this, you know, in a full day program, in a full week long course, um, and so forth. So the time extent, but at a minimum, I'd say three hours is what someone should be able to allocate with a group. So it does require a facilitator. Um, it for, for the best outcomes, and we do package the game and include and uh, require facilitator training so that people get certified through our course and then have all the materials and can run as many programs as they want. It's, it's a one-time purchase. There's no ongoing fees um, that are, are involved. And, of course, we're always there to support. Many groups don't want to own the materials and do it repeatedly. They just want a one-time experience for their group. And for that, yes, they can engage us to send a professional facilitator and just deliver a program with their group, and you know, that's it. And they can go either way. Well, Betty, on behalf of Baptist uh, Memorial Healthcare and Skip Stewart, our Chief Improvement Officer, who without him Friday night at the ER would not have been brought to Baptist. We, we've we've done it many times in our system, and we highly recommend it for organizations. But but once again, just thank you so much for partnering with Baptist and, and helping us, and, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Great opportunity to chat with you. I enjoyed it and uh, look forward to more. Well, thank you and, and thank everybody for listening. Remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, you can redeem this episode for CME credit.